You're listening to Rock's Heart Radio. This month, Roxana Moran marks the 20th anniversary of Tavi with Alain Cribier, Martin Leon, and Michael Mack. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rock's Heart Radio, coming to you live with three of the most amazing legends in cardiology and cardiovascular disease on this momentous occasion, April um, 2022, marking the 20-year anniversary of one of the most disruptive therapies in our subspecialty of cardiovascular disease, saving so many lives, enhancing and treating patients with severe aortic stenosis, the 20-year anniversary of TAVR. And I am so thrilled to have here with me um, the, the three legends who really were very much responsible for the discovery, evaluation, and dissemination of this technology. With me today, I have Alain Cribier, who is a professor of medicine, director of cardiology at the University of Rouen. I can't begin to tell you his accolades. He has already received the French Legion of Honors, the ESC gold medal, and I know the next is really, there are so many accolades uh, to this man's uh, incredible um, career as a, as a, as a uh, disruptor, as an innovator, as a cardiologist, as somebody who's done so much for us. Uh, and um, we're just so thrilled to have Alain Cribier uh, with us. And he is the man who performed the very, very first TAVR in April of uh, 2002, uh, and reported that uh, with uh, Marty Leon, who's our other guest, who's my mentor. Um, who, he's professor of medicine at Columbia uh, University Center of Interventional Vascular Therapies, New York Presbyterian. He is an endowed professor. He is obviously an incredible um, founder of the Cardiovascular Research Foundation and um, of course has uh, really doesn't need uh, any uh, introduction to, to many of you listeners here on TCTMD. And then my, my next guest is uh, Michael Mack, internationally renowned cardiothoracic surgeon, significant contributions to research with the novel minimally invasive surgery on, um, on valvular heart disease. He is a, a, an amazing, um, amazing contributor, but most importantly, has been responsible for the heart team approach and working so closely as a surgeon with all of us interventional cardiologists and cardiology. He's been previously uh, the president of the STS, uh, the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. And of course, he's been on the board of uh, uh, trustees of the American College of Cardiology. We're just so, so happy for him. Uh, to also be here with us. So hi, Mike. Hi, Marty. And hi, Alan. Uh, Welcome to the program. Hi. It's a pleasure, Roxana. Thank you so much. What a momentous occasion. What an amazing time to have the three of you here. Thank you for your time. So let's start here with you, Alan. How did it get started? How did this whole crazy idea come into your mind all those years ago? And tell us the first time you thought about this. Well, actually, um, it started a long time ago with uh, the first case of balloon aortic valvuloplasty that I performed in September 85. 
And uh, this uh, balloon, balloon above you know, was the uh, only possible alternative I found to uh, improve the patients with, who are not candidate to, uh, um, to surgery. So uh, I started balloon valvuloplasty in 85. Uh, it, it had a tremendous success worldwide, but unfortunately uh, there was clear uh, early stenosis and uh, in the early 90s, uh, I started uh, thinking of uh, something else that could uh, improve the results and maintain the valve open. And this was going through uh, the concept of a stented valve uh, because we had peripheral stent from uh, Gordis uh, that could be expanded to a diameter of 23 uh, millimeter. And uh, so I thought that maybe we could uh, try to place uh, this uh, stent with a valve inside uh, at the level of the of the aortic valve without removing it. So this was very original, you know, that uh, uh, stented valve implanted inside the calcium of the diseased valve. You know, so this was the this was the idea. But uh, you know, when uh, you have an idea, it's nothing if you have no, nobody behind, you know, to push you and to uh, present you to the industry. And so, and Martin Leon was here had a fantastic impact, you know, to helping uh, the, the project to become a reality. So thank you. I could tell you that I was sitting in an office uh, next to Marty on a very late night in Washington, D.C., <laughs> uh, about 30 years, 25 plus years ago, when he walked into my office and he said, you're not going to believe this, but we're going to be replacing valves going through the groin and we're going to be replacing valves. And I said, Marty, I think you're spending too much time in the office. I think you're, <laughs> how, how are you? Well, actually, it was a very <laughs> crazy idea. You know, think about the valve disease, the calcium, the coronary arteries, mitral valve below, the, the septum and so on. Uh, nobody could believe that it was feasible. But, you know, uh, I want to tell you, he had all the conviction all the way back then when not even a first animal was done and they were, he would, they were designing this. So Marty, how did you like think that this was even possible and that it could even become something that it is today? Like, can you even imagine? Well, you know, Rox, I think the disruptive ideas usually are generated by creative people. And Alan had both the creativity, the experience, and the, and the perseverance to take a creative idea and to make it real. Um, um, you know, people think that this just happened overnight. Uh, um, overnight, as Alain said, began in the 1980s uh, when we developed better stent technology um, and um, became familiar with some great uh, and creative um, engineers who could work with us. We could adapt some of the work that was being done with stents to Alain's idea to, to be able to to push aside the native valve and create a new valve, basically to do a valve transplantation in a closed chest. Um, uh, it took many, many steps in order to make this real. But I must say, um, our, our focus was on the sickest patients. We felt surgery is such a good therapy for aortic stenosis. Why would we ever wanna compete with surgery? And we felt this was gonna be really a niche therapy in the sickest patients who really had no good options. What was really profound was to see that with, again, a lot of iteration, uh, good clinical evidence, careful clinical trials, developing collaborators like Mike Mack and, and using a concept to be inclusive with surgeons and others, we were able to take this technology from a niche therapy 
to what is now the dominant treatment of aortic stenosis. And that I think none of us could have anticipated in the beginning. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. So Mike, do you have any more friends left in, as, in, in the surgical <laughs> college? <laughs> oh, a few. <laughs> Tell us about how intrigued you were and why did you join this? Um, so, you know, a couple, a couple thoughts, Roxanne. First of all, you know, I, I'm humbled to be, uh, you know, in the presence of Alana and Marty here because I'm a, a latecomer to this. And, and how many times do you see something in, in life and you, you see it and you say, aha, why didn't I think of that? Well, I never would have thought of Taver. I make no apologies to myself because I had a surgical mentality. I knew all the reasons why this couldn't work and I wasn't thinking out of the box enough. But, you know, this was, I was a uh, part of the cabbage versus PCI wars and I saw how that went down and um, the moment that uh, was about the year 2000 that I saw a, a, a tavern, an animal at Edwards Life Sciences, I mean, it was an instantaneous, aha, this is going to work. And, you know, I was bound and determined. I, I know the end game here. It's just a matter of time how to get there. So I can either stay on the sidelines and watch. I can put my head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. Uh, or I can be in the game and help evolve this together. And that's the path I chose. You know, it was interesting in the year uh, 2000, uh, <clears throat> I was invited to write an article for JAMA um, regarding what's surgery going to be like in the uh, new millennium. And, and I talked to every surgical subspecialty and there were, this is before the first in human taver. And there were four themes that came through. One is ablation over excision. Two is image guidance over direct vision. The third is access by a natural orifice or a blood vessel. And then the lastly, reconstruction without suturing. And wow. then two years later, aha, Taver comes to being by Professor Cribier that embraced three out of those four that I hadn't even thought of before that. It when you listen to that, that is incredibly intriguing. And you know, I, I, you may say that you were not part of the beginning, but honestly, without your involvement and um, embracing this technology for better treatment for patients, a lesser invasive treatment for the patients with our surgical colleagues, the dissemination would never have been possible. The TVT STS registry now is. 10 years old, and I think we're uh, turning the page of the 10-year anniversary on this 20-year of TAVR. It basically tells our audience here who are listening what it took to get there and how you, Alain, as the innovator, the inventor, Marty, as the evaluator, the person who put this to the test at its highest level of all of the New England Journal articles that have been published for this particular technology. And you, Mike, as the um, heart team collaborator that helped the dissemination in a way that now is going through and a registry, a complete worldwide registries are taking place, but also here in the United States with a uh, every single case being followed and cared for, it's unbelievable what has happened. 
You know, so I I'm just this... think of I, I just think of myself as as along for the ride, being in the right place oh. at the right time. You know, Marty and Edwards Life Sciences with the partner trials of embracing the heart team approach. And I still don't know who named the partner trials, the partner trial, but it was prophetic. Uh, and then the FDA and CMS uh, about embracing the heart team and making it a condition of reimbursement certainly has helped play that, you know, keep that together. And I love it because, as you know, the cabbage PCI wars are still going on and there's still rock throwing and, and all kinds of things. And this will never be in Tavern. And I think it's because of the approach that the three of you had in, in, in this technology. So, Alain, um, did you ever imagine that it would have this kind of an impact way no, back when? No, absolutely not. No. Well, I was uh, encouraged by first patients and by the first series of patients, you know, who had some uh, tremendous evolution of uh, clinical improvement of patients uh, at, uh, among, uh, among the 31st one. You know, we had patients who really were absolutely transformed. So I was a little optimistic, but I, th I thought that uh, this technique would remain in the field of non-surgical candidates or, high or candidates high risk for surgery. Not to that point, you know, where we can do that in uh, almost uh, anyone above the age of 65, which is unbelievable. I, 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 want to, I, I want you to take us back to that day, that April day of 2002. We have the images of you and Elan. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the three of you with your eyes soaring. Yeah. And, and at the time of deployment, take us through those emotions. I want the audience to feel it. Well, actually, it was uh, it was unbelievable, you know, because uh, uh, it had never been done. We were doing this using the transeptal approach, which was not at all on the program. Uh, we we were supposed to implant the valve rate to break through the femoral artery, so we had also to cross the septum. You know, each step, uh, getting out of the sheath with the valve print over the balloon. You know, we didn't have any delivery system; it was just a valve print over the balloon. So this was a little difficult, first of all. Then we had to move to the septum. And crossing the septum was also a challenge because we had some resistance. We didn't have, again, delivery system. So the, the valve was taking some room. I had dilated the septum with a 10 millimeter balloon, which was a small size you know, in comparison to the, to the diameter of the print valve. And so we could do it. We, we went through. And then we went to the, uh, the apex of the left ventricle. And then we knew that there was a floating thrombus here. You know? So it was very, very stressing. You know? we, we, we were paying attention to the, to the clinical status of the patient, you know, we, we were extremely nervous. But we went around that and uh, we reached the valve and then after that, you know, the heart was beating and we had to block the valve at the right position, which had never been done. I didn't know exactly where to place the valve. This is why you can see our eyes, you know, uh, open and very stressed because uh, we didn't know exactly where to place it. And uh, finally, I decided to place it right in the middle of the calcium. You know, that's all. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, uh, we, we managed to, to do that. And the, the most uh, extraordinary thing that I will never forget is the uh, improvement of the patient where the valve was uh, expanded because we could observe you know, his face turning from gray to, to pink. You know, the, the patient was smiling. He had absolutely no pain. There was absolutely no problem. We removed the, 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 the gas there. The valve was in place. On echo, you know, could see for the first time the leaflets opening and closing. You know, it was absolutely unbelievable. So a lot of emotion. And I will tell you a secret. After that, I went to my car and I cried. 
I bet you did. I would have. Time. I would have too. <laughs> it's the first time that I said that in public, you know. But uh, actually, I, it was so intense. You know, you cannot imagine. You know, people were embracing each other at the end. It was, and the patient was doing so fine that uh, after one hour. Uh, he went back to his bed, and uh, this patient was almost dead. You know, when we uh, we started uh, treating him, he, he had several episodes of cardiac arrest, so he was really bad. He had no no ejection. I, I remember so you telling. Have to understand. Yeah. So Roxana, I want I want to hear that. Alana's yes. Even too, um, Alan is even too humble. Um, you know, this patient was in his fifties. He had recurrent episodes of cardiogenic shock. He had an ejection fraction of ten percent a mobile LV thrombus. This was a bicuspid aortic valve that was done without general anesthesia and without transesophageal echo guidance in the very first case. It really is an extraordinary. Yeah. Go for it. Is that right? Is that, a, is that right? Yeah, and you know, I found something else. The, 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 the 30 next patients, you know, were all done with uh, local anesthesia without TE, and uh, the patient awake, and uh, and uh, only on uh, local anesthesia alone, and uh, it worked out very well. So we started very early to use the minimalist approach that is uh, is done is used currently. Um, so so Alan, Alan, tell me. Um, I heard you told me this that. You were ambivalent about that first patient, uh, and uh, you you consulted with Marty. And uh, what did what what was that conversation? You, I know oh, you yes, have those not, emails. Nothing will tell you, you know. But we had turned uh, uh, a page of mail, you know. And uh, you know, I, I was explaining to Marty what we uh, what we were planning to do in Rouen, and uh, we had these patients. You know, this was a life-saving procedure, the only thing to do. I failed uh, ballooning the patients uh, transeptally uh, before, and he was back in shock. So I explained the whole thing to Marty and said that there was a very minuscule, a very small chance of succeeding. But uh, and after that, I, I I got his answer. You know, so he was uh, he was extraordinary. You know, he said. Uh, wow. There is a good chance that we fail, but if we succeed, it will be something extraordinary, something like uh, this. It was fantastic. Yeah, Marty, you remember? <laughs> I, rem I remember it distinctly, Alain, because the weekend before I was with Stan Rowe and Stan Rabinovich with Renu Vermani at AFIP in the animal, in, in the human lab, um, looking at fresh cadaveric AS patients and trying to see what the um, um, the, the pull force was of an implanted stent. And I have to say, say, at the end of that full day of work, I had suddenly become euphoric and totally confident that this could be done. So when you presented the case a few days later, um, I was um, unusually enthusiastic that it's worth trying, particularly in a patient like this. But you deserve, you and your team deserve all the credit. Um, uh, and then the rest is history. I think that a lot of great things happened and we got support. I, it's a good example also of the partnership between uh, industry and with um, physicians. It's a, it, it's a good example of this concept of, of needing evidence-based medicine and doing careful studies. You know, Alain published that first case and every case he did after that were in published series in the literature. Um, people were not used to doing that. So he was willing to be able to be constructive and even to be openly criticized so that we can improve our technique and improve the technology. And I think that was part of the secret of the story in terms of 
being able to evolve this into really a, a, a simplified procedure that, that, that many, many people can do. Yeah. Now, Mike, um, I wanna you know, hear your thoughts. How, um, when you're hearing this, and I know you know all these stories like I do, but our audience needs to know, how did you, how did you, I don't wanna, how did you, how are you able to kind of move forward and bring our surgical colleagues who also care about uh, patient outcomes to the table with such a great way forward? How did you do it? Well, you know, so another couple anecdotes that answer that question. You know, um, at the time, uh, Alain's initial way of an anti-grade uh, transeptal approach was having trouble being duplicated. So alternative uh, access was being worked on. And, and John Webb in Vancouver on a retrograde transfemoral approach and then our group worked with Frederick Moore and Tommy Walther and the group in Leipzig to develop a transapical approach. Uh, and at one point in time, we were proposing a randomized trial between the two approaches. The, the, the appeal of a transapical approach that you had a valve on a stick rather than a valve on a catheter and therefore much more controllable, such a short distance and you didn't have to transverse the arch looked for a while like it was going to be extremely appealing. And the first time I met Alain Cribier, uh, you know, was in uh, 2004, 2000, uh, 2004, I think, in Leipzig, where he helped Professor Moore and myself do the first transapical procedures. Amazing. Uh, and, and, and the first two implants uh, had, in retrospect, mild paravalvular leak. But as surgeons, we said, this isn't acceptable. Alain was there saying, say magnifique. And Fred and I are looking at each other, really? What is about these paravalvular leaks? And we explanted the valves. In retrospect, Alain was right. We should have left them in place. Fantastic. What an amazing story. I mean, I just, you know, we can go on forever talking about this. I wanted to capture that first, that first procedure and how it all started. So now, what's next, Alain? What's next? What next? Oh, well, actually, uh, concerning the uh, TAVI procedure, I think it will move on and uh, expand the indications to younger patients, you know, and, uh, and especially if we can demonstrate that there is no problem with uh, long-term work of the valve, long-term viability of the valve. And uh, also, uh, we can be prepared to have some improved device coming on the market, you know, and uh, so we have the smaller valves. We, uh, I think the work will be done to change maybe the leaflets themselves, you know, to make them, uh, uh, to improve their uh, life uh, durability. And uh, by uh, using some other uh, tissue, well, it is some, uh, uh, something different of the pericardium that we are using today and maybe a better better long-term follow-up that could also improve the uh, the number of patients treated actually uh, concerning tavi i think we we almost we are almost reaching a plateau concerning the technology because uh, it is so easy now you know it's like stent implantation so there, there is uh, nothing to improve too much you know except a few things but I think the, the, the most important impact of TAVI now has been to push people to use the same kind of technologies for treating other diseases like uh, uh, cardiac diseases or, or, or other valvular diseases. I think that the, this field 
of investigation will terribly improve in the coming years. Oh, there's no question about it. Marty, I want to hear you and Mike's uh, thoughts about the future. Marty first. Now, we certainly could talk more about TAVI, but I agree we've uh, begun to reach something of a plateau. There'll be many iterations. We'll expand indications. We'll affect the technology, particularly at the leaflet side, and we'll continue to make the procedure easier to do. That's really the genius of, of TAVI. The fact that it is generalizable. There are over 800 centers in the US alone that are performing this. Um, and I think that the minimalist procedure has been profound. So I think all of those things are keys to its success. But I would view TAVI as the catalyst that has really spawned a whole new subspecialty in structural heart disease. And Mike and I were just together, we were at um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were at uh, the new uh, transcatheter mitral tricuspid um, uh, facility at Edwards and Irvine. And I think we were stunned with the Amazing. explosion of new technology and the ability to be able to use some of the initial concepts and to be able now develop a whole variety of creative ways of approaching other forms of valvular and structural heart disease. So I think that um, Alan had a good idea. We got a little bit lucky. We had the perseverance of a true pioneer, somebody like Alan. We had the collaboration of of, um, you, know, I, you know, in my mind, the best, you know, cardiac surgeon in the world, Michael Mack, it really was a best case scenario. And we were very fortunate. Um, and now I think it's gonna, I would take it back to the patients. There've been over a million patients, Roxana, with aortic stenosis, whose lives have been made better with this procedure. And, and that to me is gonna be the enduring impact and that we should focus on. The future will take care of itself. Younger people, your generation, the next generation will come up with incredibly new and exciting ideas. Um, but I think that the patients will continue to benefit and, and um, you know, we're just really humbled to be part of this. Oh, isn't that beautiful. Mike? I have little to add to, to those two great summaries that, you know, I think we are evolving into the lifetime management of patients with valvular heart disease, uh, addressing durability, because we really don't know how long these are going to last, uh, moving into addressing third world uh, where the predominant of valvular heart disease is, primarily rheumatic, uh, and figuring out ways to be able to treat those patients. Uh, which have not had effective uh, uh, access to valvular heart therapy. And then lastly, as Marty mentioned, uh, expansion to um, uh, earlier indications and, and other valves, I think is clearly the future. So th this is, uh, you know, as the, the saying goes, uh, this is uh, the end of the beginning. <laughs> well, it just doesn't get, it doesn't get any better than that. The, the date, April 16th, 2002, will be forever etched in, in the history of uh, cardiology and cardiovascular disease for the work that you did, Alain, with your courage, your perseverance, your brilliance, your incredible team. And of course, uh, we will celebrate it. I can't wait to celebrate it with you in person. And I hope that we will continue, as Marty said, with the patient in the center of this and imagining that when we think for the patient with that kind of enthusiasm and love and, and um, perseverance, we can make anything possible. And now millions are benefiting from this technology. And by the way, 
it's not just one company, multitudes of companies coming up with fantastic solutions to treating aortic stenosis with the technique that you put forth, Alain, with your idea, with your incredible work. And Marty and, and Mike, both of you with your fantastic collaboration, I can't wait to see what's next. I know that everyone is thinking about all the other valves, but I think what you, what you all have done have set an example for the next generation of those of us, or those of those of the uh, our audience who are listening to this, and I hope that they're infused with enthusiasm, courage, perseverance, and love for for innovation, uh, evaluation, and dissemination of new technologies. Thank you for the to the three of you. Thank you for making time. And this is Roxana Moran from uh, Mount Sinai Hospital and. Uh, uh, Cardiovascular Research Foundation signing off, Rocks Heart Radio. Thank you. Thank you all for being with us. Thank you very much, Roxana. Thank you. Thank you.